Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and of course, I'm Ed Stetzer. We have conversations this and every Saturday at this time, a variety of different topics. And, and today, we're going to actually talk some about, well, something a lot of people have been talking about, a bit of a buzz in, uh, in and around, around this topic, and it's called The Chosen. We'll get to that in just a minute uh, as, as well. Um, and then we're going to talk through and just take some questions from uh, Dallas Jenkins, uh, to ask some questions of Dallas Jenkins and talk through what, what they're accomplishing, where they're headed. Uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting reality because spoiler alert, we all sort of know what's going to happen, uh, but it's some of the additional things along the way that have caught people's attention, uh, generated a conversation and more. So Dallas Jenkins is going to be my guest. Let me introduce him and then we'll jump into some conversation. He's actually um, the, the son of celebrated left behind author, Jerry Jenkins, is a, and he is himself the creator, producer, and director and writer of what's now become the international hit series, The Chosen. Um, he actually launched his career producing the independent feature Hometown Legend at the end of age, at the age of 25, shepherded to distribution by Warner Brothers in nearly 20 years since. He has directly uh, uh, directed and produced over a dozen feature films for such companies as Universal, Lionsgate, Purefix, Hallmark, Pureflix, Hallmark Channel, and Amazon. And of course, now the, the big, I'm guessing the biggest hit, we'll ask him in just a minute, the biggest hit of his so far work has been The Chosen. Uh, the Chosen completed filming on the third season in September 2022, continuing its unprecedented success as the largest fan-based, fan-supported entertainment project of all time. It's been translated into 62 languages and counting. Uh, no fee, no subscription required. It's completely free to watch and available as both a standalone mobile app and a TV app plus available on multiple streaming services. And it's viewer supported, so the, in, the program continues to go uh, free and people are finding it helpful as they sort of walk through uh, the story and life of Jesus. Now, it's, it's, if you haven't watched The Chosen, it's, it's, it's maybe in some ways not what you expect. If you're watching a series of uh, ministry, uh, the ministry of Jesus, uh, you might say, well, what I kind of expect here is that, that I would kind of go through like word for word. We maybe think of the Jesus film, which again, very pro the Jesus film, just, just to be clear. Um, the, uh, but it doesn't go through just kind of putting the words of the gospel, of the words of Jesus as recorded by the gospel in the mouths of actors. But instead, there's, there's a backstory, there's additional information, additional content, which is uh, what makes it, I think, interesting to so many people. So we're excited to have uh, Dallas Jenkins. Dallas, thanks for joining us here on the program. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor. Good, good. Well, we we have a uh, we we actually have met once, I think, and we met at, at my recollection at the resurrection of Gavin Stone. And I've I've watched. I've I've done. I have to confess, Dallas. I've done more prep for this interview than almost any other because in order to do this interview, I needed to begin to watch a series. I know I probably shouldn't have begun by starting to tell you that just a month ago I started watching The Chosen. And uh, Donna, my wife, said she watched the whole thing. She loved it. I'd be, I'd be walking by. She's watching The Chosen. We have a mutual friend named Mart, a businessman named Mart, who said, you really got to watch The Chosen. So I finally, I finally did, uh, really started enjoying it. Uh, but again, your story in really The Chosen starts with the resurrection of Gavin Stone. Let's start there and tell us what that, which, which again, I just want to point out, you're going to tell us that it didn't go well, but I'm going to tell you audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 84%, tomato meter, 54%. I wrote a positive review about it. I went to the premiere, so I'm a little unhappy that it didn't go great. So tell us why that matters. 
<laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone was a feature film that I did that came out to theaters in 2017. And it was a big Hollywood opportunity for me. It was one of the first projects I had done that was financed by a big production company. And I uh, got to work with a lot of great studios. And then it just completely bombed at the box office, just uh, lower than their lowest projections. And in just a couple hours, I went from being a director with a very bright future to a director with no future. Now, the interesting thing about that was that in that moment, I actually, it was the lowest moment of my career, really, but uh, I, God was more present in that moment than I believe almost any moment in, in my life. Uh, my wife and I still look back on that and, and see it as the life-changing moment where we felt God making it so clear, as clear as though he was standing in the room speaking to us audibly, uh, you know, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. And I got on this program, which for me was unique. You might have already figured this out. But for me, it took me over 40 years to figure it out, which is to not care about results and not care about what others think and not focus on, you know, what the Bible calls fear of man, but instead uh, focus on making sure that when I do provide loaves and fish, that I try to make them as good, as healthy as they can be. And when I hand them to God and he deems them worthy of acceptance, the transaction's over. And that's what allowed me to do something silly. Like, you know, I did a short film for my church's Christmas Eve service about the birth of Christ. A streaming platform decided that, you know, they would, they heard my idea for a show about Jesus and, and, and uh, that short film ended up launching The Chosen and generating the crowdfund and all the other stuff we can talk about if you want. But I mean, that's that that the failure of that film is actually the birth of The Chosen. It's fascinating. We, we see that a lot in scripture and people's lives where one failure, the, you know, God, God's opening another door in the process. OK, so you did this short film. I think it was called The Shepherd. And uh, and this was kind of the first. Uh, foray into telling, I don't know what the right language would be, but telling kind of the side story of something that maybe scripture records, but this is the side story too. Tell us a little about The Shepherd. Yeah. So The Shepherd takes the the perspective of, all right, this is the birth of Christ, the story we've heard thousands of times. We don't change the story, but we're going to tell it from different perspectives. So in this case, it was from the perspective of the shepherd. So what we do is we take what we know from scripture and then we work our way backwards. So we started actually with the morning of, of, of that day and the shepherds are taking the, uh, the sheep into town for, to sell them to uh, the religious leaders for slaughter. And so we know this, th it doesn't specify this kind of stuff in scripture, but we know it because of historical context and cultural context. So these are things we can know. And then we add, yes, some artistic license of the kind of conversations they might've had amongst themselves. And, and so the position of this one was, uh, I, I started with the thought um, that I was listening to the song or singing the song Emmanuel by Chris Tomlin in church. And there's that great line in the song where it says, um, talks about the silent age, 400 years will he be found, but broken by a baby's cry, rejoice in the, hum the Hollywood manger ground. It's a, the notion that a, the cry of a baby broke 400 years of silence. And so that concept of, okay, when I, there's this really cool thing that they were so longing for the Messiah. They were so desperate for the Messiah. And these shepherds were the ones who got to see it first. So we just, we, we told the story through their eyes. And so when they encounter Mary and Joseph and when they encounter the angels, it, it, it takes on a unique significance without actually changing the gospel narrative. Fascinating. And it is, it, it, without actually changing the gospel narrative is it's good, good, helpful language. Cause I mean, there's not significant shifts that are, 
that, that away from what would be there, but instead it sort of fills it in, which, which in and of itself I think is well fascinating. I'm sure some people don't like that. I've, I've seen some of the social media people like, you know, you're telling us details that we should not know. And I'm like, wait, well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, so for example, I when the episode, when it beginning in the beginning was the word, you know, and start where the word and the language and all that kind of background came from. I mean, clearly, uh, the writers here, I don't want to ask about them, the writers here are f- very familiar with the biblical text to be able to have this long kind of dialogue around what's the meaning of the word? How do we put this in the word and more? So what, I mean, what is the, the background? What is the, the, the engagement of both the writers and are there theological advisors that are helping you to think around some of these issues? Help us to see the, that process, that creative process. Yeah, that's a really great example. So I have two co-writers and the three of us write everything. And then we have uh, some consultants that we work with, like my my uh, New Testament professor, Dr. Doug Huffman. And then uh, there's a Messianic Jewish rabbi named Jason Sobel, who's a, who's become a good friend. And he gives us a lot of the c- cultural context as well. So in the example you gave, that's at the beginning of season two, where we show the Apostle John starting to assemble his notes and his thoughts and and what God is leading him to say for the gospel of John. And he's working out and he's actually talking to mother Mary, who, as we know from scripture uh, was assigned by Jesus to be John's like when he, when he's on the cross and he says, mother, behold your son and son, here's your mother. So they're talking about uh, the story of Jesus. And he's saying, I want to go back to the very beginning. What, what, what would be, what, you know, what's the beginning. And we start working out what might've contributed to those opening words of John's gospel. And one of the things that we present is we show this scene uh, where Jesus is reading scripture uh, in a synagogue and he's actually reading the creation story. And so we actually juxtapose Jesus's reading of scripture with the creation story and John listening to it in that synagogue. And that giving John, that memory, giving John the idea to to start his gospel with in the beginning was the word and the word was God. So it's those kinds of things that we do again, where we're, you know, as you know, I, I, I come from a conservative Bible believing background. Uh, I I'm, I'm a strong evangelical believes that the Bible is God's word. So we start with that as our primary source of truth and inspiration and we don't change it. But again, we do give some of these, He's uh, pl- what we believe is plausible. That's our operating principle, our operating word. Is this plausible? Does this fit within the character of Jesus in the Gospels? And if so, we believe that we have the opportunity to to fill in some gaps, to to give some context that uh, that that has for many people, for literally millions of people who've who've shared this with us, has uh, made the Bible come alive for them and has caused them to search the Scriptures and read the Bible even more. Fascinating conversation. Dallas Jenkins is my guest. We're going to continue with your phone calls as well. Let me invite you to call in with some of your questions. I also, uh, since this was crowdsourced, I kind of crowdsourced. I put on Twitter, what questions should I ask Dallas Dallas Jenkins? I've got some great ones, kind of themes we'll walk through. Our phone number to call is 877-548-3675. You can ask your question, make your comment, 877-548-3675. We'll continue with Dallas Jenkins and your calls in just a moment. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary, but the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read 
Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at moodypublishers.com. Okay, we're back. Um, Ed Stetzer, Ed Stetzer Live. By the way, I didn't introduce myself at the beginning because I was focused and excited about my guest, Dallas Jenkins. I'm the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I serve as a dean and professor at Wheaton College. And most importantly for this conversation, I'm married to Donna. Let me say why that's most important. First of all, I can always tell it's going to be a great show when Donna texts me that she's listening. So she has already texted me that she is officially listening. Um, she's, But she's the one who kind of got me into The Chosen. I understand from talking, I was talking to Stan Jans and some others. Uh, Stan, I know you you, you know Dallas, and uh, they said, "Oh, it's kind of a pattern. <laughs> it's kind of like someone watches it and tells somebody else." And you know, I had heard about it. You know, I saw some stuff online here or there, but then from there, um, we kind of jumped into watching it. She's now rewatching it with me and more. So I, I, it's fresh on my mind. And I think one of the things that you said I thought was interesting, you wanted something that could be binge watched. And here I am binge watching it. Where did that whole binge watching idea come from, Dallas? Well, when I was making the short film that I discussed earlier, The Shepherd for my church, um, you know, it was just something I did on my, on my friend's farm in Illinois, 20 minutes from my house. But while I was doing that, I was, I was binge watching a lot of shows with my wife, Amanda. We love TV. We love, uh, you know, the, 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 the notion that uh, you can follow characters from episode to episode, uh, season to season. And as you mentioned in your intro, uh, a lot of Jesus projects in the past were movies or miniseries, and they had a limited time to cover. You know, you have a, when you, in a movie, you got 90 minutes, two hours to cover quite a lot in Jesus's life. And it's always from Jesus's perspective. And so you're going from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, and you're never ever having any connection whatsoever with the people that he actually touched. And so my operating principle, as I started to develop the idea for the show was, if you can see Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him and identify with their questions and their struggles and their doubts and their expectations, then perhaps you can be changed and impacted in the same way they were and identify with the answer to their struggles and their questions. And the only way to do that is to is to do it like how normal television is being done these days, which is, you know, a lot of times you'll watch multiple episodes at a time. You'll watch it over the course of multiple seasons, but it's done in a quick, quickly sometimes because you're able to invest in these characters and get to know them and then be impacted the same way they are. And that's uh, that was kind of the the, the the thought experiment as I approach the show. Yeah, fascinating, and I think it's it does become very engaging to people. I was particularly intrigued with the quality level. Um, you know, again, a lot of Christian films. Uh, I'm not the first. I'm not the guy who's throwing bricks. Everybody who's trying hard to do things that are creative. I think that's great, uh, but they're not. You know, they're not always the highest level quality. And so here, the the quality of the acting and the filmmaking is kind of evident from the beginning. First season, I was impressed. Second season just seems to step into a whole nother level. Um, let's let's take some calls uh, as well. Let's go to uh, Patricia in Plainville, Georgia. Patricia, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go ahead. Hey, um, I just want you to know, Mr. Stetzer, I, I listen to you every Saturday. Oh, thank you. Okay. Go ahead, with your, go ahead with your question or your comment for Dallas. Dallas, um, comment. Thank you for this, um, The Chosen. I was hooked by... Um, the trailer that y'all played on Facebook of the Samaritan woman. Hmm. It was so good. Hmm. I've been watching it ever since. Hmm. I bought the season one and two and gifted it to another family member. And uh, I can't wait to see tomorrow's episode. 
and I just want you to keep it up. Don't stop. Mm. Uh, mm. Patricia, thank you so much for that call as well. Dallas, I mean, I'm guessing you hear that a lot. And let me just say that the Samaritan woman, at the, the Samaritan woman, that was an amazing episode as well. So, but I mean, talk about the response you get. I mean, is it ministering, encouraging a lot of people like it has Patricia? Thank you for your call, Patricia. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you, Patricia. Um, it's funny, Ed, it, what just happened is actually quite frequent. And I don't say that really? to with any kind of arrogance. It's, it's actually... Uh, I get recognized now in public quite a bit and and it's very rarely a celebrity type of response. It's 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 like what you just saw, people feeling the need to say thank you. Uh and and I would say probably a third of the time someone just starts crying. And uh, I think there's the the thing that makes me so pleased about it is not because I care about uh, personal <laughs> appreciation or anything like that. It's because I think when when they're that emotional and when the comments they make are usually about how it's drawing them to scripture more than ever, or how it's their relationship with Christ is is even more on fire than it was. Uh, that's what is ultimately exciting. And it makes me realize that that uh, I do believe that God has his hand on it because of the what the response is. If the response was, oh my gosh, it's my favorite show. Now I have something to watch. And oh, you know, good news. I don't actually need to be, read my Bible as much because I have the chosen now. That would be upsetting. But people are saying over and over again, thank you. I'm now more engaged with scripture and with Jesus than ever before. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it is fascinating people's response. You know, I, I actually, uh, you know, I, you crowdsourced. So I crowdsourced. I, I tweeted and said, what questions should I ask um, Dallas Jenkins? And people just have all kinds of responses. I mean, the people have questions, and I'm, we'll go through some of those. But also, they, they kept coming back to, you know, how this part moved them, how this part encouraged them. Um, and, and again, Donna, I mentioned, she's a big fan. And and uh, and again, I've, I've become just appreciating, I mean, just the, the, the art and the engagement and the way you sort of weave in stories that point to what the biblical text is. So tell us some of the reactions that you've seen from people, you know, fans, people who watch the show and more. Yeah, I did want to share one of the coolest stories that I'd ever heard was at the beginning of the process when the show first came out, and it gave an indication of what was coming, which was we heard from a, a woman in China who was share, wanted to share that she was the only one in her family who spoke English, but that they were binge-watching the first season because of the pandemic, because they were stuck in their homes, and her husband and her kids uh, were desperate to watch each episode, even though they didn't speak English, and the show hadn't been translated in their language yet, and that was an indication that people of all ages, uh, which I didn't expect, were getting moved by the show. And the fact that they couldn't even understand the words made it realize, made me realize it wasn't about me. I mean, all these words that I'm writing and dialogue that I'm writing, these kids couldn't even understand it. And yet they were still moved. And so that made it clear this is much bigger than I am. And God is, God clearly has something to say. Good deal. And I'm I'm back. I apologize. I clearly have had a technical failure here. So we are I'm recording on the road. My team does always a great job, but sometimes the technology on my end fails. But um, so, how do you how do you deal then with the critics or the criticisms that come? Um, you know, one of the questions of the themes that I gathered that people people wanted to know. I mean, because there's a lot of nitpicking. I think in part because people maybe love the biblical text and they say, no, you know, Matthew wouldn't have done that or John wouldn't have done that. In part, it's just Christians can be critical. How do you deal with that? Well, honestly, Ed, uh, God took all that away from me back when my movie failed back in 2017. And that was the thing that God did with me more than anything else was I used to be someone who struggled with narcissism. I cared about affirmation. It was important to me. And now I I, I really don't care anymore. And so 
you know, the most common things people say are, oh, you're working with people that aren't like, you know, because I have people on the cast and crew or people in the team that come from different faith backgrounds or some not at all. And they'll say, oh, you shouldn't be working with these people or the, the content of the show. They'll say, you know, there shouldn't be anything said. You should never add to scripture. So on number one, I, I really I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for God. And I genuinely uh, developed a superpower that God gave me that I just don't care anymore what people think. But the other thing is, is uh, I, I genuinely believe that, um, and this is very important for anyone to hear, your Bible has not changed since The Chosen came out. I'm not adding to scripture because this isn't scripture. I have a healthy understanding, as does my wife, as does everyone working on this show, that this is a TV show. This is not a replacement for scripture. And before the first episode starts, we say, we encourage you to read the Gospels. In many ways, the show is what we would consider plausible fan fiction. And so the show is a supplement, can be used as a supplement to scripture. Uh, and so I do want the average viewer or the person considering the show to know that we take this very seriously. But what critics think, I just I just can't worry about it. And the debates that we might be having about it uh you know, are, are, are ones that don't really apply anymore because I've already made the decision to do the show. There, nothing they say is going to is going to change that. So, uh, hopefully, the debates are healthy and intellectually honest. Yeah, and I think I think that obviously is key and helpful is that people are aware and they walk through it. I mean, it is a it is a decision. That you talk about being plausible, and I watched you talk about that in several interviews. Uh, and and I will tell you, you know, I haven't finished, but mostly through, and I didn't find, as you said, anything was implausible. The question that people, I, I sort of wondered to myself, am I, every time am I going to read Matthew now, am I going to see Matthew as on the spectrum? Um, you know, right. and, and how does that shape my, my view? Which, which, by the way, I just think was brilliantly done. You know, if I have a family member uh, who diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome um, and totally saw how you made that connection, I can even see it made sense on many points. So, but I'm guessing from now on, I'm going to think of him as being on the spectrum. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Should I try to get that out of my mind when I read the scripture? Uh, or, or should I just acknowledge it as a possible plausible storyline? Yeah, I mean, I don't see it as a bad thing unless what I think would be bad is if you started treating the show or treating Jonathan's portrayal, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, as Jesus. You know, if you're, if you're worshiping the, the portrayal in our show, or if, if when you're like in church worshiping or praying and, and, and you're thinking of the show as worthy of worship, of course, that would be, that would be bad. I mean, that, that's what the Bible talks about in the old Testament when it's don't, you know, when, when it talks about graven images and not portraying Jesus or, or, or portraying God, uh, it's for the purpose of avoiding worshiping a false idol. Well, we're not calling for anyone to worship our show. And, and to, to date, I haven't heard of anyone who is. But I think having this notion of maybe Matthew could have been on the spectrum, that, that's not a bad thing. I don't think that is anything that contradicts scripture or makes you, leads you towards a bad doctrine. But these stories of the Gospels, I think you'll oftentimes hear pastors do the same thing. You know, I, you know when I read this, it makes me think of, and, he, and usually a pastor will give some color or context. But as long as we know what's scripture and what isn't, I think that uh, we're free to, to imagine and to, and to think about these people because they were people, human beings, just like we were. And that's often easily forgotten. We think of them as stained glass windows. Yeah, it's interesting. In the, in the, in the, as I kind of categorically put together the comments that people sent in, one of them, a couple of them were about, I think they were I'm very typically fans of the show, but 
like they were, if one thing bothered them, it was Jesus practicing things like practicing the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it kind of gets yeah. into, you know, who Jesus was. Did he need to practice? He certainly needed to learn. He needed, he didn't, he wasn't born with the knowledge of all things. And so how, how do, how do you respond to the question of helping people see the, I mean, clearly you're, you're seeing the more human side of Jesus. He was fully God, fully man, the more human side. That seems to be troubling to people some, sometimes who even like the show. Yeah, that was by far the number one thing. It was a scene in episode five of season two where Jesus is uh, essentially rehearsing. He's kind of working out some of the words for the Sermon on the Mount. And some people really said and thought, okay, I like the show, but I don't believe Jesus ever had to practice anything. And I just respectfully disagree. I mean, I believe Jesus was 100% God. I believe he was 100% man. Uh, and, and Jesus wasn't sinning to rehearse the, the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, we agree Jesus never sinned. But we know that he grew in wisdom and stature, as the, as the Gospels say. Uh, we know that he needed food. We know that he needed um, to, to learn how to read, from probably from his parents, to learn how to walk. I don't believe it's implausible that Jesus would have done some sermon prep. Uh, and, and perhaps most of it, he would have been praying and, and accessing what, what God's wisdom for it. But I, I, I just don't believe it's a contradiction of his deity or, or of his humanity to say that, that there were times when Jesus didn't know all things while he was in human form here on earth. In fact, Philippians says he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. And so I, I do believe that there's, now I'm not saying I'm right. I could, I'm not saying that I'm not going to try to settle 2000 years of theological debate about the hypostatic union uh, as though I know and everyone else does. But it does seem like there are a few people who do think they can solve that debate with a YouTube comment. <laughs> hey, and let, let's give a bonus for a reference to the hypostatic union. We're going to talk some about theology and more when we return. Our phone number taking your calls is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. We're taking your calls with Dallas Jenkins, and we're talking about The Chosen. Look forward to continuing our conversation on the other side. Stay with us. Important stuff ahead. And we're back continuing our conversation with Dallas Jenkins. We are talking about the, the series, The Chosen, um, which you could watch at several different places. I think probably the easiest is to watch at the uh, the Chosen app. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Matter of fact, let me let me um, let me address one of the questions that Art had. Art from Elk Village is asking. You know, I watched the first two seasons, and now watching the third. How can I watch the third season on? TV. Uh, they're different. Like I watched the first season on Netflix and then switched over to the app. What are some, what's the ways to kind of keep up with the series best? Yeah. So the very best way to watch the series in real time as it's coming out is the chosen app. So if you have a Roku, Apple TV, Fire Stick, Android TV, or just your mobile device, uh, you can look up the chosen. It's easy to find and you just download the app there. It's got Matthew uh, as the icon on it. And uh, it's, it's great. It's totally free. doesn't even require an email address. Uh, there's no, no, nothing, no blocks to watch anything. Uh, and uh, right now uh, we've just released recently episode six and then episode seven and eight, the, that's our two part season finale are actually coming to theaters uh, February 2nd and 3rd. And then uh, on to the app a couple of days after that. So do you go February 2nd and 3rd to see the episodes no. or are you showing both episodes at one showing? Yeah, yeah, good question. Yeah, the episodes are together. We're just doing kind of a limited release on those two days. 
Good deal, good deal. Which leads to a question. Kind of, these are a little bit technical questions, but Beth and Lindenhurst, you're live on the air with your question. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, Dallas, I'm very impressed with the sets and the costumes. Um, I'm a very visual person, and they're just beautiful. Um, so how do you pay your bills? <laughs> <laughs> great question, so, Beth. Yeah, that is a great question, especially people think, like, the show's free, so where do you get income? Uh, so we we do allow for you to donate. Uh, we ourselves, uh, th- this can be confusing, but I'll make this very clear. The chosen a company, the company that I, it makes the show. We are not a for-profit company. I'm sorry, we're not a non-profit company. Um, we, we, the first season, uh, when when 15,000 people invested in the, in the show, it was crowdfunded, but that was an investment. So we are a for-profit company. We are partnered with the Come NC Foundation. In fact, you mentioned Stan Jantz earlier on the air. He's actually the the uh, the president of the Come and See Foundation, and they were a uh, well, they are a, a nonprofit that was formed to expand our mission. So, to be very clear, when you're on the Chosen app, uh, you want to see future episodes and seasons, and you want us to to be able to keep the show free uh, and to translate the show into hundreds of languages. You can donate to the Come and See Foundation, and uh, then they then they. Uh, put that money into uh, allowing us to produce the show. So uh, for for several years, we just gave people the opportunity to, to, to pay for it or not. They're just like, look, you don't have to pay for it, but if you do, this is what allows us to, to keep doing future episodes and seasons. And, uh, and so now the Come and See Foundation has come along as a nonprofit entity that now people can donate tax deductible. And uh, so that's how we uh, were able to, to, to afford the show. Now, we also have the, the, the for-profit side, the commercial side, where we've got uh, gifts and merchandise and, and uh, license like when it's put on Netflix, that kind of thing. But the Come and See Foundation came along a few months ago and uh, has really put a jump start into the show. They, they're the ones who actually take out ads. Uh, you, you might be seeing ads for The Chosen on NFL games lately. Uh, they've really just decided that uh, they really want to help the show get out to the world. Yeah, and it's interesting too. Part of it is their plan to continue to translate into different languages. There were several questions around that theme, but it's already in a bunch of languages. And people are asking, "Do you just do you just is it subtitled? Is it, it do you dub it in?" And and as you answer that question, point to what does the future look like? What what do you hope to see? How many languages are you headed towards with the Come and See Foundation plan? Yeah, so right now, season one is translated in about 60 languages, uh, season two a little bit less than that. The Come and See Foundation came on, and uh, because of their background, because uh, Mark Green is is the chairman of the Come and See Foundation, he's with the Green family, the family behind Hobby Lobby, and they've done huge translation work around the world already. So they said, we're going to take some of our infrastructure and and apply this to the show. And so the, their goal is 600 languages uh, mm-hmm. in every country in the world, and uh, dubbing uh, into 100 languages. Dubbing is a little different from subtitling, as you know. And uh, dubbing is a little harder, a little more, uh, quite a bit more expensive, uh, but we want to get that into a, at least 100 languages as well. Yeah, when Mark found out I hadn't watched The Chosen, he's the one who yelled at me and basically said, right. you got to start watching The Chosen. So I, I, I jumped in, and uh, and I'm glad I did. It's been a fascinating uh, process, and, and looking forward to going to the theater and seeing these uh, other things as well. Let's see if we can jump into a couple of other questions uh, as well to Scott in Lockport, Illinois. Scott, you're live on the air with your question. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. Thanks. I uh, really enjoyed The Chosen. And um, I've been talking to people online, friends of ours from church and acquaintances about it. And they're so closed-minded about the show. Like, they won't even consider watching it because I think they have these preconceived notions in their mind about who Jesus is and to them. 
and they don't want to even watch anything that might go against that. And it reminded me of like the Pharisees back when Jesus was here. They, they were looking for the Messiah according to what they thought he was going to be. And when he was here right in front of them, they didn't even want to consider him. And it, it just went against what they, what they believed. And how do, you, how do you get to these people that are Christians, but they won't even consider watching the show? What do you think, guys? Well, I'm going to say this. I, I think that there are some people who unfairly uh, judge the show or judge the viewers before they've even seen it. They've heard something negative or they've read something that might be taken out of context and they've just made made a strong conclusion and, and they just refuse to consider it. And, and I, that, that bums me out sometimes because I think that sometimes there's a lot of intellectual dishonesty and, and you've experienced this, Ed, where people are making significant conclusions without even considering it. That said, I'm not going to speak for some people who maybe justifiably and intellectually, honestly, are saying, look, I've got God's word. That's the portrayal of Jesus, uh, the, the accurate capture of Jesus that I want to read. I don't need anything else. I don't want anything else. I don't want to be distracted from it. I don't want to consider the, any potential stories that might not be true about the disciples. Uh, and and I, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I would argue that occasionally when they go to church and they hear a sermon, they're hearing more than just God's word. They are hearing a, a, a pastor deliver a context and, and, and oftentimes say, hey, look, let's, let's try to picture ourselves in this, in this moment and what that might have been like and gives historical context and cultural context that isn't in scripture. But I, I'm not going to just automatically assume that all of them are just Pharisees who are refusing to see uh, the real Jesus, because the real Jesus is actually in God's word. So if they're going to be reading the real Jesus in God's word, I'm not going to argue with that and expect them to to enjoy my uh, my take on the stories, which I admittedly say right up front, this isn't God's word. This is a, what we believe is a plausible portrayal, but I'm not going to try to fight for their heart uh, if, if their heart is already taken by God's word. Yeah, your your heart has been, I've heard it over and over again, you know, engage God's word, read God's word. We want you to watch, if you watch the show, let it drive you to God's word. There are people who would hold theological views. You know, some of the people came up, second second commandment, you know, different things about making images and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, hey, I, I can respect that. Uh, and, you know, and again, my concern, I think Dallas' concern would be that you engage faithfully and regularly God's word. I had some fun questions come in on the list, too. For example, uh, one person expressed a joking disappointment that, I mean, you went through a lot of work in this. Couldn't you have done this in Aramaic? Because, I mean, let's let's take it to a whole nother. <laughs> let's make it more accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, It's funny. Some people will say, uh, I don't think Jesus would have said uh, a phrase like not too shabby. And I said, and I always say, Jesus didn't say any of these words in our show because he didn't speak English. So <laughs> let's just remember that uh, back then they had they had Hebrew and Aramaic versions of the words we say today. Oh, yeah. And I, I had, you know, even like I was watching the show and when someone mentioned being corny, I like I turned to Donna, we were watching on the couch and I said, can't be corny. There was no corn in that part of the world at that time. <laughs> and so and I told you, you know, euphemisms and all that sort of stuff. And so, again, but you could spend a lot of time on uh, right. on those things for sure. Uh, let, let's let's go to uh, Terry in uh, Illinois as well. Terry, you're live on the air. Go right in. Uh, yes. Uh, good morning. I just wanted to share that um, I was an early supporter uh, before the first four episodes, I think, were done. I talked to my pastor and they embraced it um, fully over time, uh, but also that it has impacted so many different people in so many ways. Um, I have sisters that are in their 70s. Uh, one has fully embraced it, gone with me to the theater presentations, and uh, she said, 
it reminded her of her early Sunday school um, instruction and has opened everything up to her. And it's also helped both her and several people that we know uh, who are dealing with terminal illnesses and death of uh, family members, et cetera, um, um, in, in ways that I think they can relate to the show. And therefore, they're going back and experiencing uh, the gospel, et cetera. And my hope is that since Dallas has this group of writers um, filed to do this series, when this finishes in the seventh season, that they will continue to do something um, that will have the same type of impact on people. Um, so that that's my comment and my hope. Well, we're going to take that comment as a, as a good comment as well. Several people in Dallas, we need to take a quick pause here, but several people have mentioned their question. Well, I mean, we sort of know where the conclusion of this part of the series goes to, but they want to see you go on to the Book of Acts. And when we come back, I want you to answer, is that something we're going to look at? Is this an ongoing project and more? We've got one more segment. We've got lots of good calls lined up. We're talking to Dallas Jenkins. Uh, we're discussing the series, The Chosen. We're going to jump right into calls on the other side and have them answer the question, is the Book of Acts next? Stay with us. Good stuff ahead. Hey, we're back. It's Stetzer Live. We're talking to Dallas Jenkins, having a real, I think, fascinating conversation about the series The Chosen. And we just had, we're going through some questions from callers. We've got more in just a moment. But Dallas, I mean, very common on my list. Um, in the, we just asked on online, live online here. So the question is, is what's after this? We do all, spoiler alert, we know what happens by the time the end of the Gospels come. Do you go into the Book of Acts? And I just want to say, if your answer is no, as a missiologist who writes on the Book of Acts, I'm going to be very disappointed. So tell us. <laughs> well, look, when uh, the seven seasons of The Chosen are done, I'm going to nap for about a year, and uh, then we'll start considering uh, the Book of Acts. Uh, I don't know exactly what that will look like, but uh, we do actually have some announcements coming up about uh, potential other projects that we are starting to develop. It's uh, If I spend the rest of my life uh, telling uh, Bible stories, uh, I could do a lot worse. So uh, we're trying to do things one at a time. It's not my job to feed the 5,000, only to provide the loaves and fish. And I do that one thing at a time. I try not to get ahead of myself anymore, but clearly the demand is there. And uh, I would love to, to continue to tell Jesus stories. Okay, good deal. Uh, let, let's go to uh, to Dave. Dave is in Eretta, California. Probably listening on K-Wave. Dave, you're live on the air. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my question. So, Dallas, my, I'd like to get your comment on how you got connected with the LDS Church in the production of The Chosen. And um, as a believer, if you could if there's any concern in your mind that the Mormon church could possibly use the success of the chosen to help persuade other people that uh, maybe they're becoming part of mainline Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so just to be very clear, because I think this is important. Number one, I'm not formally associated with the LDS church on any level, uh, and they don't claim that we're formally associated with, with each other. We use 
they have a set in Utah, an extraordinary set that's kind of a recreation of first century uh, Jerusalem that we use in our filming. Uh, we use other sets as well. We've built our own. We've rented stages from other people. Uh, the owners of each of those stages or the owners of our sets, we don't have a religious litmus test for whether or not uh, they align with us uh, perfectly. And that's the true of who we rent our equipment from and our cast and crew. We hire a cast and crew, I would say, actually more more than half of our cast and crew aren't uh, tr believers or traditional believers. And so uh, if the LDS church, because of the fact that we use their set or that some of the people who work on our team are uh, happen to be LDS, I can't really control what they may claim or not claim. Uh, I, I, I put that in God's hands. Our job with the show is, is as the parable that Jesus gave of the nets, we, we believe we're, we're to gather. Uh, we gather. And then, as Jesus said in the Gospels, at the end of the age, the angels will separate the evil from the righteous, just like uh, fishermen separate the good fish from the bad. Uh, my job is to gather into an, to the net, and I'll allow uh, God to, to do the separating. Uh, but who we work with uh, is less relevant uh, in this case than the content of the show and the fact that I, as an evangelical believer in God's word, uh, am the sole uh, arbiter and final have the all final responsibility for the content of the show. And that's something that we would never compromise on. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, the the when I did the what would you like me to ask Dallas about? I did get several people say when to ask about the Mormonism thing. So I watched your your answers in a couple of different settings, and you know, and and and, and I, I think I get sort of what you're what you're doing. Uh, you know, I think for Mormons the and for uh, Christians they would they would they would agree on much of what Jesus did. I mean, the content you're doing, uh, following biblical narratives, kind of embell adding to some of those as with plausible things Jesus could have done. I guess it really is is who Jesus is is the bigger issue. You know, we we hold that you know, God the Son, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian doctrine, theology, whereas Mormons would hold a, a different faith. And so, so is is it? I mean, and even in one of the interviews, I think you said you didn't want to address this anymore. So I was, but I figured someone was going to call and ask. I mean, how do you how do you address the issue? not just of the set, which I appreciate you addressing that question. There's no, there's no formal connection with the LDS church. There's, you know, it's, this is, and you have creative control as an evangelical believer. Um, this has just become an issue that people keep raising. How do you think you best address it so that it's not an ongoing question? Because I can tell you're trying to keep what in part is an LDS audience at the same time, holding views that kind of, you know, there's Christian denominations and traditions and Mormonism is outside of that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I've put out, as you, as you mentioned, I mean, you can look on our YouTube channel, you can find multiple videos where I've shared where our statement of faith is and where I come from. And I've clarified a couple of comments that people have been concerned about. But my, my operating principle is uh, the Jesus of the Gospels is who we're presenting. And there are other faiths, uh, LDS or Catholic or whatever, that might have differences of opinion uh, with, with us or different uh, approaches or different foundational beliefs about uh, who Jesus was. But most of those, in fact, nearly all of them, uh, are, are take place before Jesus was on earth or after Jesus was on earth. The, the events of the Gospels, uh, for the most part, uh, we tend to agree on, and that's why I believe uh, so many LDS folks and Catholic folks and other faith traditions, or, or even people who aren't believers, uh, love the show, is uh, they're seeing it as a plausible historical portrayal of, of who Jesus of Nazareth was. Now, there are plenty of theological debates to be had, of course, 
Uh, and I've had many of them with some of my LDS friends and uh, people who work on the show. And uh, But I just prefer to do that in the context of relationship. I don't see any value in going out publicly and starting to have arguments, theological arguments, or trying to speak for the LDS church or speak for the Catholic church or speak against them or anything like that. It's not because I'm afraid of losing viewers. I don't care about that kind of stuff. It's just I prefer to have... Uh, nuanced, thoughtful, and uh, theologically rich discussions and debates. Uh, I prefer to not have them in uh, YouTube forums. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have addressed that people can Google those things and, you know, find where he's kind of addressed that. So I didn't want to spend a, a super lot of time sort of walking through those. I did, I did think about the Mormonism conversation uh, when we were looking at the John one discussion, you know, beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So I would say that people who are outside of biblical orthodoxy, who are, are driven to the text, like a John 1 text, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, that, that they'll, they begin to hopefully see more of the fullness of who Jesus was, that there's never been a time when he was not, that he, God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I think there are paths there that can be influential, even as the scripture text sort of comes forward. Um, let's, let's get to another call. This is Mary, uh, Mary, also in Illinois. I have a lot of calls from Illinois today. Mary, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Dallas. Just three um, quick things. Two uh, statements and then one question I'm going to hang up real quick. Number one, even though it's really hard to hear these sideways criticisms, I just feel like we started praying for you way back at church with Gavin Stone. And I just have to say you're in great company with the Lord. And um, the way you went through that has given you the humility, I believe, to handle the, the enemies, you know, trying to get the people sideways about stuff that's, you know, in the end, like you said, already been stated and handled. So God bless you for that. Um, my question is about the end times. Um, when you, when you moved on and you started to build your, you know, your future right around that time, there were things happening in uh, the world that matched up with scripture. And I thought, I wonder, um, do you ever feel a burden or do you ever feel and maybe you don't at all, that the way the Lord opened up all these doors, even way back from the beginning with church and developing humility and not caring so much about what people think. Mary, uh, get did you, to you ever your feel question. that perhaps for such a time as this, did he, because of the world we live in and the end times, give yeah. you this Go ability ahead. to do what thank, you've done with you, the chosen? Thank you. Oh, Super. Yeah. No worries. Thank you, Mary. Yep. Sorry we had to cut you off. There were about out of time. 30 seconds, Dallas. How is yep. the Lord using this in this time? Yeah, it's clear that, as she said, for such a time as this, uh, when the pandemic hit is when the show really went to the next level and took off and people started seeing it more than ever. We are, I've been in homes. I have seen people say, my focus on Jesus is higher than ever before. Uh, what God wants to do with that and what his timing is for the end of times is not up to me, but I'll continue doing the work. Oh, fascinating conversation, Dallas. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, again, let's go back to Gavin Stone. People should watch Gavin Stone. It was a good movie. I liked it. I went to the premiere. I wrote the review. I'm thankful for you continuing, though. The Lord use that. And thankful for what I'm learning as I watch The Chosen. Hey, thanks to our team at Moody Radio, Karen Hendren, uh, Courtney Young, Charles Man in the Phones. To hear the program today uh, over again and share with others, I think you'll want to go to edstetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. And as always, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks, Dallas Jenkins. Thanks to everyone for listening and calling in.